Okay, hello everybody. How you guys doing? You guys ready? All right, let's pray real quick. God, we just thank you for this evening. God, we thank you that you love us, that you love us so deeply. God, that you care so much about what we have to say. You care so much about what is on our hearts, God. You hear every prayer. You hear every cry, God. You hear every desire in our heart. And Lord, we want to know, God, what it is that you have to say about it. So today, God, may I be your conduit. May I be your mouthpiece here. I want to speak from your heart, God. I don't want to hold back, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray for that grace. And I receive it right now in the name of Jesus. God, we just thank you um, <laughs> for what you're doing. Amen. Sorry, that was like tricky. Man, sorry. <laughs> okay, hello. So, um, I'm just going to get right into it. So, at the end of last year, right, to that, this is 2015, um, and at the end of last year, uh, I, I ended the year actually feeling a little bit hopeless. Um, there were a lot of promises on my heart that I knew were from God, and it was taking a while. Let me tell you, it was taking a while, okay? Um, and I was getting really tired of just waiting. I was getting really tired of holding on. And so, um, I was just, I was just bringing this before God and I was like, God, what, what do you have to say about this? Like, what should I do? Um, and so he gave me my theme for the year. How many of you guys pick a theme for your year? Okay. If you guys don't, I suggest that you do, and I, I want you to see how God honors that, because this whole message is a process of me, of God honoring the theme that I chose for this year. And it's the theme that not just I chose, but God put on my heart to choose, right? And so this theme, it's, it's something that God really highlighted for me this year, and something that has, I've been on this journey with for this whole year. So what you're hearing right now is, is, uh, down the line of a very long process. And so um, I also want to say that this is all, a lot of the result of my journaling. If you guys journal, if you don't journal, I encourage you to do it. It's really fruitful. Like a lot of the stuff that I have here, it's I, I was reading through my old journals and I was like, oh yeah, that's what I thought. And how do I feel about that now? How, how has that changed? How has God spoken into that since then? And it's really cool to see like the, the, the steps that God's taken me through. Um, over the, throughout the year. And so, um, yeah, we're going to have, we're going to be reading from the book of Hebrews. So if you could open your Bible with me to Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. And my familia should be familiar with this because we are reading this together. Um, they have heard part of this, but they have not heard most of it. And so I hope they're excited as I'm excited. For them. Um, but let us read together. I'm just going to read it out loud for us. Okay, Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. All right, so this is the passage we're starting in today. And if you've read the book of Hebrews ever, you know that one of the big themes in Hebrews is hope. Uh, and it's, it's actually one cohesive essay. So if you ever read he- Hebrews piece by piece, you might not get the full picture. But I encourage you, if you read Hebrews, read the whole thing together, and it makes a lot of sense. And we're going to be unpacking it a little bit here today. Um, but, but this is the, this is the thesis, the center point of what, um, the author of Hebrews is trying to say. Um, basically, it's this. It's that God does not lie when he makes promises, and we can hope in him, right? So the passage, it says what? It says in verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have, and then it goes on to say, we have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us, right? The two unchangeable things are um, the promise that he made verbally and the oath that he makes with Abraham. Um, it's it's a very uh, we're not going to go into it, but basically, just trust me. God does not lie. Okay, He proves it. He does. He's not going to break his promise. Do you guys Do you guys believe that? Okay. And so, what is the hope then? The question is, what is the hope? Right. And in verse nineteen, it says. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner, right? So the hope is Jesus, yes, right? Do you guys, yes. So the hope is Jesus. And in chapters 1 through 5, it explains why Jesus is the hope, right? Chapter 1 tells us that he's supreme, that he's greater than the angels. Chapter 2 tells us that it was by his suffering that he can help us through when we were tempted. Chapter 3 and 4 tells us that he's greater than the law that was given by Moses. Right? Chapter 5 tells us that he is the great high priest, and that's why he can enter in behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is to intercede for us. Right? Okay? So, this is the first thing that you need to understand. Right? The hope is Christ, and without Christ... There's no hope. Okay? Without Christ, there's no hope. Right? Without Christ, the only inevitability is that we die a miserable death. Right? That we go eternally separated from God into the pit where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, the Bible says. Right? And so any desire for anything good in your life without Christ, it's worthless. Right? You can't, you can't hope for anything good to happen to you without Christ. Even if you experience every single pleasure that is given to us in this world, but you have no, you don't have Christ, those pleasures mean nothing. It's, this is, this is the example I came up with, okay? Those pleasures would basically be like that moment when you're walking in the streets of Seoul 
and you smell that beautiful, that lovely waft of fresh coffee or baked bread. And then you take a deep breath to try to get some more. And then you unknowingly step over the manhole sewer and you get a big whiff of poo, okay? That is what your life would amount to without Christ, okay? You would get that nice, ooh, and then, oh my gosh, what am I smelling right now, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's terrible, right? It's worse than that, okay? And this is what you need to understand, that if you don't have Christ, there's no hope for you, right? You can't hope in anything, right? You can't ha- hope to have a good life. You can't hope to have a nice job. Like, sure, you can, but then when you die, it's all gone, and you're in hell, and then what? For the rest of your life, the rest of eternity, right? That's not even, it's existence, right? Like, I don't know what you believe, but that's what the Bible teaches us, right? And so, we must have Christ, amen? Amen. And so, what is Christ going to do for us if we believe in him, right? And so, if we look, if you look at Hebrews 7, Verse 25, Um, this is right after what we just read. It says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Right? And so, again, he's making intercession where? Behind the curtain, right? Because of what we just explained earlier. And so he, because he's making intercession, he's able to save us to the uttermost. Right? It means to the furthest reaches, to as far as you can go, he can save you from that. The, as, you know, whatever dark pit you're in, he can save you from that. Right? In NIV it says he's able to save us completely. And in NASB it says he's able to save us forever. Right? There's nothing that God cannot save you from. There's nothing he cannot save you from. Okay? And, I want you to look at the word save here. Save, in, often in Greek, uh, if you look in throughout scripture, uh, the word save is the Greek word sozo. Everybody, sozo. Sozo is a very important word, okay? Sozo is a word that is understood not only to mean salvation from spiritual death, but physical salvation as well. It's, it's a holistic salvation. It's salvation from not just our spiritual condition, but our earthly condition as well. Okay, and uh, yeah. So when we say, when we can see this in the example of Jesus, when Jesus is in the Bible in Matthew nine, right? He shows us that he doesn't just save us spiritually; that he saves us physically. What happens in Matthew nine uh, is that he, the paralytic, comes to him, right? A paralyzed man, and Jesus is sees the man and sees the faith of the man and says, right, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And the priests, the Pharisees of the time, they were like, what the heck? How can you say that you're forgiving his sins, right? Isn't there a sacrifice that needs to be made? Isn't there all this other stuff that needs to be done? How can you just so lightly say that you are going to forgive his sins, right? But then, And so they didn't believe him. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? What is easier to say, that your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
and he rose up and went home. Right? So not only did he forgive his sins, but to prove that he can also forgive sins, he physically healed the man. Okay? So this, it's together. Salvation isn't just a spiritual salvation from the pit, from death, but it's a physical salvation as well. Okay? Do you guys believe this? Okay? Um, and so, let me tell you some more. Right? What, uh, what other things, what other promises does God give us in this promise of holistic salvation? Right? It's, if we look in Isaiah 53, it says that we don't need to live under physical pain anymore. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Again, showing what? We don't need, phys- like, we, He can save us from physical pain. Right? He also heals us emotionally. Okay? So this is Isaiah 61, 1-3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And here, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Okay? So He heals, He binds up those who are brokenhearted. That's an emotional healing. He proclaims liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Actually, can you guys open up to Isaiah 61? I want you to see this. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. I want you to know that this is the Word of God. This is not just me talking. I'm not just making this stuff up, okay? So I'm, I'm at verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our, of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. In ESV it says the spirit of despair. Right? Despair. These are all emotional problems that Christ came to heal, to rid us of. So if you are despairing, you can be free of that. If you are brokenhearted, you don't have to feel that pain anymore. If you are grieving, you don't have to grieve anymore. That doesn't have to be your life, okay? And so it, we see it's, it's, it's a holistic healing, okay? And it doesn't just end with promises that are written in scripture in the law, right? There's also the individual promises that he gives us. So Hebrews 11, if we look at Hebrews 11, you guys might be familiar with this as people have named this the Hall of Faith. This is where many of our the forefathers of our faith were are listed and they're commended for the faith that they had in Christ. Basically the hope that they put in God that he was not going to break his promises. Right? We see Abraham... He says, God makes a promise to him, him and Sarah, saying that, you know, all of his lineage, he, he's going to have a huge inheritance and also a enormous amount of, like, children, right? It says in scripture that his children will be like the sand on the seashore of stars in the sky, right? It's, it's countless. And this is, this is not a promise that God makes to me, right? I can't take this promise 
that is made to Abraham and say that, oh, that's Matt Coe's promise. He's going to have children as many, as numerous as this, you know, right? That's, this is not, this is an individual promise. Okay? And then we go down to the next one. Uh, okay, we can go down to Isaac, right? Isaac and Jacob, they both also inherited the land, right? Joseph, they inherited the entire land of Israel, of ancient Israel, right? Moses, he was, he was, sorry. Right, Mo, it goes on. I'm not going to go through it. But these people, they were all promised different things. Moses, we know he was promised to be the savior of the Hebrew people. He was promised and, you know, he saved the Hebrew people. God did it. Right, were any of these men and women, did they misplace their trust? Did they misplace their faith? Did they find that God was not faithful? Did they find God to be a liar? No, they didn't, right? And so, if God makes promises to us, right, then what are the promises that God's given you? Can you guys name any? Can you think of any right now? Right? Do you believe that God has promises for you? Yeah. Right? But where are you getting those? Right? If you don't know, what if I don't know that God has promises for me? Well, here's the thing, like, we all have dreams and desires, right? We all have things that are on our hearts to do, to become. Right? And these are things that God put in us from the beginning, from when we were born. Right? He knew every thought before we thought them. He knows what's in our heart. And He knows our desires. And He's not putting them there just to let us down. Just to say, hey, look, you can do this, but I'm, you're never going to get it. Right? You're never going to reach this. You're never going to, you know, make an impact in this world. You want to make an impact, but look at how much you've messed up. You can't do this. Right? God, the, God didn't give those to you just to leave you hopeless. Okay. You know, a hope to have a family someday. A hope to be famous even, to be well known, right? A hope to be, you know, healed of like certain diseases, right? God put those in you. It's not evil to desire things, right? It's not sin to desire things of your own free will. God gave you that because he wants you wants to fulfill those things, right? And what about the people who have spoken over you, right? Whether it's your friends who say, like, hey, you know, what do you think? I think you'd be a great singer. Why don't you try pursuing a career in that? What, I think, you know, you could really impact people in church. Why don't you become a pastor? You know, what, what have your leaders prayed over you? Whether it's like a prophetic prayer or a simple prayer. Like, what have they promised? What are the words that you've heard in your life that you feel like God is promising me this? Do you have those? Most of us do, but the problem is most of us, many of us, have let those go. Said, you know what? That's too big. I can't do it. God, you can't do that. Right? And so the test for this kind of thing, like, you can know if if it's a God dream if you really need God's help for that dream. Right? Like, if, if you're dreaming a dream that, like, oh, yeah, I want to get an A in this class, like, you kind of don't need God's help to get an A in that class. 
Like sometimes some of us do. Like me, Lord, I need God's help to get A's, right? Like back in college. Mm. Um, but, but there are certain things that you really don't need God's help to do, right? Those dreams, most likely those are your own, right? Those are just like whatever. But there are certain ge- dreams that are on your heart that you really can't do without God, right? Those are the dreams that God, I feel like God's highlighting for us today, right? We need God. Because our hope is in Him, right? That's the only way that we can believe those dreams to come true, right? It's through Christ, and He wants to be in that place, and so He's put those desires in our heart so that He will, we will seek Him, right? So those God-sized dreams, I I dare you to try them, to test them, like try it out, take a step of faith, like oh, I want to become a singer, okay, let's let's go to an audition, let's see what happens, and see how God honors that that step of faith, okay? But The thing is, a lot of these promises, they're going to take a long time, right? A lot of these promises, they're slow cooking promises, and they need some time to be fulfilled. You're not going to become, you know, the next Big Bang overnight, right? Like, you're not going to become this world-renowned name tomorrow, right? You have to, like, it takes time. Even Justin Bieber, right, who's, like, coming back right now, Right? He, he, he seemed to become big overnight, but there was, there was an increase. He started little when he was a kid, and then he got discovered, and like he, he built his career. It wasn't just like he has the fame that he has today. Right? No one, it's, it takes time. But that time waiting is the hardest part, right? And that's where hope is the most important. Okay? So, I want to give you a little bit more context for Hebrews. Hebrews was written to Christians who were under persecution, okay? They were written, it was written between 60 and 70 AD, and this is around the time when the Christians in Rome were getting heavily persecuted. If you know who King Nero, or Emperor Nero is, Nero burned Rome, the entire city, he burned Rome and then blamed Christians so that everyone would hate Christians. Like, if, if someone came and burned Seoul and blamed it on someone, you would immediately, like, blamed it on North Korea, whatever. Like, you would immediately hate North Korea because they burned your city, right? And so, this is the kind of persecution. What would they do to those kind of people? This is, this is very less civilized than what we have today, guys. You know, like, it's not just going to be, like, verbal abuse. People are out to kill them. These are the kinds of Christians that the author of Hebrews is writing to. And that's why he's writing about this message of hope in Christ. Okay? It's not just a salvation of, yay, I get to go to heaven, but he's actually speaking to these people. You can be saved from death. You can be saved from persecution. And even if you go in there, you have the hope in Christ. Even if they kill you, even if they cut off your arms and legs, do whatever to you, you can still have hope in Christ because he can heal you. He can, you know. And so this is, this is why the author of Hebrews is writing in this circumstance. Right? But are you under persecution today? Not the same, right? Like, no one's out to kill me for being a Christian, thankfully. There are countries like Syria where that's happening. Thank God we don't live there, you know, but we have our own struggles. It's not, it's not all of a sudden easier just because we're not in Syria, right? So what's the struggle that we have to fight? And so this is, this is kind of where I, what I want us to kind of take away today, right? This is our modern day persecution. Let me explain it to you, okay? 
we have a very humanistic culture, right? We say that what you, you make of your life what you can by your own strength, right? Do you, do you, do you see that in your life today? Right? We believe what? That there's no need for a miracle. I'll just do it myself. We believe that hard work, effort will create our own opportunities by our own strength. Right? We'll invest our time and our energy and we'll build these relationships. We'll build these friendships. I'll, I'll go out and ask out a girl and then I'll get married. You know, like this is, this is the kind of world we live in. We just got to keep trying, keep using our own abilities, know what we know, and then make something of it. And so we work. We work our butts off. Right? And we, we envy those who seem to have it easy. They're just like, wow, why does it come so easily to them? Why are they so able to understand what they get? Right? And they're just like lucky or whatever. Right? And so we, we're per- pressured. This is our persecution. We're pressured to believe this. Right? We don't have the freedom to believe in grace anymore. Like, the world does not let us believe in grace. The, lo- the world tells us there's no such thing. Right? You, you bombed your, fa- your class? Okay. You know, you bombed your final, you bombed your midterm, you failed the class. I can't do anything for you. What can I do for you? You, you bombed it. Like, how else are employers and, like, you know, graduate schools, whatever, how are you supposed to compete against, against them in our culture? You get good grades. You have more, like, a higher MCAT score, higher LSAT score. You know, you, you get a higher GPA, all this stuff. It's graded on numbers, facts, things that, you know, aren't flexible. I can't go up and change my GPA without, like, getting charged with forgery or whatever. You know, like... And so when we have emotional problems, we're told simply, okay, you just got to work through it, right? You just got to keep the power of positive thinking. Just keep believing, you know, like, just keep hoping, whatever, without Christ. And they keep t- they'll tell you, go, re- go to rehab. Go to, you know, see a therapist. And these things are good. These things are helpful, but without Christ, like, they're nothing. And so we're, we live in this world where this is, this is the, the status quo. Like, this is what everybody believes. Right? Everything, it's based on what you can do, how hard you work, how hard you try. And so when we don't measure up, we get depressed. Right? When we don't measure up, we get hard on ourselves. We evaluate, evaluate ourselves just as the world has evaluated us. We look at our actions, we see our results, and we determine at some point, why should I bother? Right? Like, even with sin. Right? I can't, I, look at me, I'm working so hard, I'm trying to fight this sin, I'm trying to battle this away, but it's not going away. Like, okay, I guess I suck, I guess it's a failure, I guess God doesn't exist. Right? I guess God's promise to me is not real. Right? I can't get over this depression, you know, and I thought God was going to come here and heal me or whatever. And, you know, I tried and I, se- I started taking meds, but it didn't go away. Right? Like, we give up. Right? And, and so the Christian response is like this. It's like, no, let, let's just hope in God. You've, you've given up, but okay, let's hope again. Let's hope again. God, he's a God of grace. Jeremiah 29, 11. He knows the plan. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Just believe these things. 
And it turns out it, it ends up becoming just positive thinking again. Right? And we imagine this like utopian life and we paint this picture, God is gonna do all these amazing things in my life. Right? And then like, yes, okay, I'm gonna go forth. And then inevitably, what happens? Expectations are not met. Right? And so we believe what? God, you let me down. I thought you were supposed to work miracles, but clearly I misplaced my trust. And so we end up cynical at God. And God, what are you going to do, man? Like, I've tried. Like, I, I've, I've waited. I've trusted in you. Like, where are you? I guess, okay, I guess this is it. I guess this is just my life. You know? That's like where, that's where I was, you know? And that's why I decided, okay, let's, let's hope in God, right? He's good. Do you guys believe that? Do you really believe it? Right? When you've waited and he's let, then you feel like you've been let down. Can you still say God is good? Right? And, and don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not a problem to get frustrated. It's not a problem to make mistakes. It's not a problem to like get cynical at God. That's fine. If you look at, go back to the Hall of Faith, what you don't read here is that Abraham had Ishmael. That was a result of him not trusting in God. Right? If you look in there, like Jacob, or Isaac, sorry. Jacob? <laughs> I can't remember now. Jacob lied to his dad to get the inheritance. That's a, it, he didn't trust that God could actually give him the inheritance. God promised it to his mom, Rachel, who... <laughs> he promised it to his mom, Rachel, I'm going to make your son... Like, your son is going to inherit the kingdom. Right? But then, Lee, Rachel and Jacob both couldn't believe and trust in God, so they had to lie to get the promise from Esau. But God still honored them. Like, it's, it's, it's not... This is what grace looks like, guys. Right? God, even if you mess up, that doesn't mean the promise is over. Right? Moses killed a man. He, he did all this crazy stuff. And if you look in here, it talks about Gideon, Barak, Samson. Samson, who we all know, like, he did not end well. But he's in the hall of faith. He's in the hall of faith. What does that mean? He, it means he had a degree of faith in God. But he was not a good man. Right? He, he, he did not trust in God. Right? It has Jephthah. I don't know what he did. But David. Right? David. David. What did he do? He killed a man to get Bathsheba. Right? But David is the greatest king. He's the man that God calls the man after my own heart. Like this, we, this is what grace looks like, guys. Right? He, he can still answer the promises, fulfill the promises that he has, whether you make a mistake or not. Right? He can still fulfill your dreams and desires, whether you think you're qualified for them or not. Right? He doesn't look at your GPA of faith. Thank God. He does not look at your GPA of faith. Okay? 
But then there's the reality, right? So we have this hope. We have this trust. But then when our hope is delayed, it still hurts, right? I'm not trying to deny that, right? Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting is not easy. And waiting some more. And waiting some more. <laughs> That's the reality. But why, why do we have to go through that? Why can't God just, you know, after a while, just give it to us? Like in the time, like at least in a reasonable time. I don't know, like, what's reasonable to me? Something that I can understand, but God doesn't do that. Right? So I have a choice to make. If I've been waiting for a long time already, I have a choice to make. Do I just, do I wait more? Or do I just take what I can get? Right? Will we settle for unripe fruit? Right? Because God has a timing. There's a certain time that a fruit needs to ripen. Right, but whenever we step out of that, that period of just hoping and trusting in God, we're settling for unripe fruit. Whether you do it from the beginning or towards the end, it's the same. It's still unripe. It's, it's gonna be bitter, it's gonna be sour, it's not gonna be sweet like you imagined it would be. Right? So are you gonna wait for that? Right, and, and there's another purpose to the waiting. I want you guys to open up to Hebrews 12. We're just still in Hebrews, guys. This is God's encouragement to us when we are tired of waiting. Verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to, to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have heard, had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Okay. Verse 11, for the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the fruit, right? That we're waiting for, the fruit of righteousness. But the waiting, the waiting, and the waiting, right? It's discipline. God is treating you as a son. 
He's not spoiling you like a brat, giving you whatever you want, whenever you want. He's treating you as a son. And he wants to mature your character. Right? And, and that's why you have to wait. I don't, don't believe that the waiting is worthless. The waiting is hard. It's painful. But it's not worthless. God is good all the time, right? So here's what I want, here's my message to you guys, right? This is speaking straight to you guys. What I see when I look at you guys, there's a lot of you who I feel have fallen into that cynicism. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but you've given up in hoping that God's going to do anything. Right? You come to large group expecting nothing. You leave large group with nothing. You go to church every Sunday. Nothing's changed. Why is that? I'll tell you it's because you gave up hope at some point. I don't know if you recognize that in yourself, but you've lost hope. You, you at some point believe God it can't do anything. I don't know if who lied to you. I don't know if someone hurt you. I don't know, you know, like maybe you just took a class and they said God doesn't work miracles anymore. Maybe your pastor... I don't know, hurt you in some way. I have no idea why you lost hope. But today, I want you guys to have your hope restored. I want to encourage you guys to hold on to hope. Because God's good. Right? Christ came. He bore our sins. He died on the cross so that we could have hope. Hope not just for salvation from death, but hope for salvation in all respects. Hope that he'll satisfy your dreams. I'm going to read a verse to you. From Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 43, I believe. You guys can turn there. Is it 43? It might not be. Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Youths who are supposed to be full of energy grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So that's what we want to do for you tonight. We want to restore your hope in the Lord.